Amen. Like we said, it was an awesome week at Revival. Some of this happened. Um, we're posting pictures, by the way, tomorrow morning. So if you want to see all those things. Some of this happened. Some of this game action was going on. And I mean, you could have come to Revival for a lot of reasons. But there was a lot that happened with the, with the games, with the tubing, things like that. Um, we also had some great worship at Revival. There was a lot that went on. But... I think that there's one question that a lot of people are left with after going to a camp like this, okay? And it's a common thing, so don't think this is uncommon. It's very common to ask this question, but many people ask this question right here. Um, How can I know, like, not how can I have some kind of idea, but how can I be confident and know if I am a real Christian? Because that's a lot of what we talked about at camp, and that's a lot of what we talk about at True North in general, but... I, I want you to know that there's a book of the Bible that was written to answer this question. Okay? It's a book I was talking about earlier, the book of 1 John. And it says at the end of the book, he gives a purpose statement. Not all books give a purpose statement like this. We have to study them and be very careful about figuring out what they're meant for and why they were written. But this book in particular, he just says it right at the end. He says, here's the reason I wrote to you. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That's what he starts off with. And if you've got a Bible, why don't you just open there. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. Very end of this book, he says, I write these things to you, these people who, in fact, actually, who know they believe. So these people have some kind of understanding of Jesus. They know who he is. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So we're talking about real Christians here. He says, I wrote those so that you may know that you have eternal life. It's actually kind of interesting, of all the things going on here, he says, no, 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 I want you, if you're a real Christian, I want you to read this book, and I want you to walk away being confident that you really know God, okay? So that is exactly what the book's about, and it's true. Many of us have looked at the book of 1 John and walked away, like, confident and said, yeah, I I know I'm saved. After reading this book, it's very clear to me. But the other side of the coin is also true. If you read the book of 1 John and you read it carefully and you apply it to your life, many of us look at that book and say, I I fall short. In fact, there's no way that my life is compatible with what it means to be a Christian. So sometimes this book will do one of two things. If you read it carefully, it will push you into one of two camps. It will say, you're either right with God or you're not right with God. And because there's not a question more important than this, I want to study this book. So we're going to look at this book. As you turn there, I want you to know we're not looking at any other passages. So I want you to have this this open in your lap with a Bible open to do this. Now, if you have a worksheet, you already saw this, but if you're writing this down in a notebook, I want you to make a T-chart, okay? You know what a T-chart is? You got um, two things, two columns here. Uh, On the top of the left one, I want you to write real Christian. And the point is, you can take what we're about to write down. There's seven points on each side that the book talks about and lays out. You can say a real Christian does these or is these on the left side. And then a fake Christian, maybe someone who thinks they're right with God but really are not right with God, this right side of the column will demonstrate basically the lifestyle of a person who's a fake Christian. Okay? And the point of this is not to say many of you are already walk in and you know you're not Christians. Okay? If you know you're not a Christian, then obviously you're not a Christian. But there's a lot of us here who are unsure about whether or not we're Christians. We think we might be, but we're not sure. That's what this book is meant to address. Now, I've got two things. You're going to write these down for the first points. They're very simple. They're very, like, 
duh, obvious, but a lot of people don't even match up to this. So first of all, I want you to know, real Christians, the first thing about them is they believe truth about Jesus. They truly believe the truth as he's described in his word, okay? You cannot be a Christian and not have any grasp on the truth of who Jesus expresses himself to be, okay? Even if you were in the first century and you didn't have a New Testament, if you're a real Christian, you at least know something about the truth of Jesus. Where on the other side of the coin, a person who's a fake Christian, what they'll often do is deny the truth about Jesus. They'll hear what the scripture says, and they'll say, nope, you actually don't need to believe that to become a Christian, okay? Here's some examples of this throughout the book of 1 John. So once you've written that down, I want you to look at the very beginning of the book, the first verses of 1 John. You're going to stay in 1 John, so I'd like you to turn to all these because you're right there. You can see them in your own Bibles. Um, 1 John 1.1, 1, 1, this book starts off by saying this, uh, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. So let me stop you there. Do you notice all the words like um, heard, seen, looked upon, touched? Okay. What are we referring to here? Well, the Apostle John's actually, as he's going to go on, he's writing about Jesus himself. And it's interesting because the, the, the reason this book was written, obviously, was to assure Christians that they're really saved. But there was something going on at the time period that was very bad. And there was a false teaching that had come up that was so significant, a lot of people fell for it. Here's the false teaching. Jesus was not really a human being. He was just some spirit from God that would float from town to town. He would, te- uh, he would preach, he would teach, and then he would go back up to heaven. He wasn't a real person. Now, that was the false teaching going on. In fact, in our day, that's like the opposite of the false teaching, right? Most false teaching about Jesus is he's not God. He's just like some kind of normal person. Maybe he's a wise person, but that was the false teaching. And what John's trying to say to these Christians is, look, We've seen him. We've touched him with our hands. Like, this guy, John, he actually knew Jesus. So that was a false teaching about Jesus. He's trying to get out of their minds. He says, the word of life was manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and is manifest to us. He's trying to make it very clear Jesus was a real person. So I know that sounds super obvious, but if you don't believe Jesus was a real person, okay, you don't have the proper knowledge to even become a Christian. Right? Now, that's obvious, but some people, and this is actually becoming more common today, to say, I don't know if Jesus was a real person, but I can trust his ideas, and that makes me a Christian. Okay? You cannot be a real Christian if you do not believe that Jesus was a real person, because he was. Okay? Further, check out this passage. Turn to the right, the right in your Bibles, 1 John 2, 21. More about the truth. He says, I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. He's saying, I know you've heard the truth. So I'm not informing you for the first time about something. I'm reminding you of something you should already know. Okay? He says, because no lie is of the truth. Right? This lie that Jesus wasn't a real person, that was not of the truth. Who is the liar? Okay? Well, except the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. So you've got these people, other side of the false teaching, was they'd say, yeah, Jesus might be a real person, but he's not the Christ. He's not really from God. He's not really God and man, okay? If you deny that Jesus is God, right, you also cannot be a Christian. I know this sounds very black and white, but if you deny that Jesus was a real person, you can't be a Christian. 
if you deny that Jesus is actually God, well, then you can't be a Christian because that's who he is. That's why a lot of people who profess to be Christians, who, you know, go to church every Sunday, there's a lot of cult groups out there, and there's a lot of people, even like our, our Mormon friends, who do not believe in the same Jesus, okay? The reason they cannot be Christians is because the Jesus they believe in is not the Jesus of the Bible. It's a different person. It's a, he has a different background. He comes from a different place. He did different things. It's not the same person, okay? And what we call that in, in theology is idolatry. When you make up a God that's not the real God, that's called idolatry. And you worship that instead of the real God. So you have to know these facts about Jesus. Obviously, these facts don't make you a Christian, right? And we're going to get there in a minute. But you cannot become a Christian without these. Look at the bottom. It says, whoever, verse 23, confesses the Son has the Father also. But earlier in that verse, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. No one who denies the Son has a Father. And, and that's maybe true for uh, people who are Jewish or people who are um, Muslim. And they say, no, uh, we, we believe in some kind of God, but Jesus was not God himself. And what Jesus said over and over in his ministry was, if you don't accept me, you don't get God either. That's why John 14, 6 says, he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Another verse for you, 1 John 4. Check this out. 1 John 4, 1 to 3 says, beloved Christians, don't believe every spirit. Don't believe every teaching. Don't believe everything that you hear about Jesus because there are many false prophets who've gone out into the world. It says, here's what you should do instead. You should test the spirits to see whether they're of God. When you hear something interesting or new or you're scrolling on Instagram and someone says something about God and you're like, ooh, that kind of sounds, that makes me feel good. That sounds good. Here's what the Bible says. You should test that. You should not believe that. You should not be gullible into believing everything you hear about God or about Jesus. You should test the spirits to see whether it's from God. Look what he says in verse 2. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses, and the word confess is all over the book of 1 John, and it means to agree. Whoever agrees or confirms that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus, who does not confess Jesus, is not from God. Okay? This is the spirit of Antichrist, right? You want to talk about who opposes Jesus in the world? It's the people who deny that he's a real person. Or on the other side, it's the people who deny that he's God. Right? Those teachings are still in our world today. And that might sound like far-fetched and like maybe that's not you, but listen to this. 1 John chapter 5, verse 10 says, Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. Okay? Who's him? Keep going. Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne through his Son. Jesus says this in his ministry too, but you know what's super interesting? If people try to get God without needing Jesus or think that they have a relationship with God without Jesus, John says, you know who you're calling a liar? You're calling God a liar. And you're like, wait a minute, why are you calling God a liar? Because you know what God said over and over again in Jesus' ministry? Do you remember what he said at his, at his baptism? Do you remember what God said at the transfiguration? Do you remember what God said? A voice came from heaven speaking about Jesus, and what does it say? This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him, okay? So if you or if I reject that Jesus is God and from God and was a real man, if we reject any of that, we can't be saved, okay? I know that sounds rigid. I know that sounds, I don't know, fundamentalist to you, but that's like, that's the bottom line, baseline. You cannot become a Christian unless you believe the truth about him. Super important that you have that, okay? And you know what this next verse is right after that? If you're in 1 John 5, look at the next verse. 1 John 5, verse 13. It says, I write these things to you. 
who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. It's so clear that you have to agree to these things or else you can't claim to be a Christian if you don't believe the truth about God. Um, turn back in your Bibles to the beginning of this book. 1 John 1, verse 5. 1 John 1, 5. Might need a clicker from you guys. I need a clicker from you guys, Tech. I'm disconnecting. 1 John 1, verse 5. Let's read it together. It says this. This is the message we have from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Here's what's amazing about that. It's very clear. If you know God, and if you claim to know God, there's something that has to be true about you. You have to also be walking in the light, so to speak. That means walking in a way that Jesus walks. So here's one thing I want you to get here. If you're a real Christian, left side of the column, it means that you're walking in light and truth. And those are the two things described there in 1 John. You have to be walking in light and in truth. The other side of that column The people who might be fake Christians, what it says about them is they're walking in darkness and sin. Now, that's true for many people. And you might have heard heard that in the baptism tank today. People who said, yeah, I think I'm a Christian. Yeah, I I thought for a time I was a Christian, but I was lying. I told people I knew God, but I was lying. I was not walking in the truth. I lived a hypocritical life. I came to church and I was one way. I went to school and I was another way. I was one way at home. I was another way with my friends. I was a hypocrite, two-faced. Okay? That's super important that we know that's not true of us. The next thing that you'll find here in verse 8, you can check it out. Verse 8 in your text, and you can write these things down as well. If you're a real Christian, you're going to do something here. Let's read this together first. 1 John 1, 8 in your Bibles. You can also write this down as we're reading. 1 John 1, 8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. Okay? So one thing that cannot be true of you, if you're a Christian, it cannot be true that you say, I have no sin. Okay? I don't do anything wrong. If that's what you believe about yourself, and you truly honestly believe that, you've not come to the point of understanding who you are before God. You cannot be a Christian if you say, I don't sin. Right? Here's the thing. In our world, not very hard to convince people that they're sinners. Right? Everybody kind of knows. We all make mistakes. We all you know, have bad days. We all do stuff that's not right. But there's a difference here in a person, verse 9, who, who's different. Look at verse 9. It says, but if we confess our sins, that's the opposite of hiding your sins, confessing them. It says, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned at all, not sin, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Okay? So here's the two things. Basically, Christians bring their sin to the light by confessing their sin by agreeing with God about their sin. Non-Christians, or maybe even fake Christians, people who think they're Christians, they try to cover up their own sins. I think it's so interesting that what this text says is, if you have sin, which everyone has sin, and you act like it's not there, and you pretend like you don't have it, and you're unwilling to confess it to people or confess it to God, and you just like put it in your mind and your life just in a corner, okay? God says that sin won't be forgiven. Because if you say you've not sinned, well, then you're not forgiven. 
but the people who bring that sin out from the darkness into the light and say, God, this is what I did. This is what I did that was wrong. This is how I sinned against you. God, please forgive me. The people that are trying to cover their sin, one day that sin will be brought to the light and they'll be judged for it. But the people who bring their sin from the darkness to the light and they say, God, this is my sin. This is what I did wrong. Please forgive me. Those are the people that get it forgiven. But the problem is a lot of us are playing this game where we have sin in the corner of our lives and we're refusing to bring it out to the light to God. And we're refusing to confess it to one another because we think that by hiding it, it will go away. First John is so clear. It's literally the opposite. It's literally the opposite. You cannot be forgiven if you keep your sin in the corner. If you bring your sin to the light, that's where forgiveness is. It's not forgiven by just keeping it in the corner. That's why First John 1, 8, all the words confessing. If we say we have no sin, if we confess our sin, if we say we have not sinned at all, those are super important. If you're in First John 1, look at the next couple of verses. First John 2, verse 3. Want another assurance, uh, Christian versus non-Christian, ob- here's the difference. Uh, a Christian is someone who is going to obey the commands of God, and a non-Christian or a fake Christian is someone who's going to disobey the commands of God. A lot of verses here, three verses for you. Once you write those down, obey the commands of God versus disobey the commandments of God. First John 2, after making that bold claim that if you say you've not sinned at all, there's no way you can be a Christian. There's no way you can be forgiven because if you say you've not sinned, then you don't understand your sin. Because we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But chapter 2, verse 3, look what it says. Chapter 2, verse 3 says, And by this we know that we have come to know him. Right? Who knows there's a real Christian in here? Well, here's how. If we keep his commandments. That's a proof. That's an assurance that we can be confident. Yeah, I know I know God. Because I used to not keep his commandments, and now I do. Keep reading. It says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. If you're a person who says you know God, and you pretend to live for God here, or maybe you even think you live for God, you could be self-deceived, but your life is just categorized and characterized by constant sin. Maybe sin that you don't even realize. Maybe things that you say that you don't even realize are sin. Gossip that you don't even realize is wrong. Bad words that you think aren't a big deal. Even maybe sometimes it's by the way you interact with people. And your life is characterized by that sin. This text is pretty clear. If you're not keeping the commandments of God, you can't claim to know God. I know that sounds harsh, but that's what this text says. Look at verse 5. It says, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Super clear, right? How do I know I'm a Christian? Well, one of the ways I know, not the only way, but one of them is I see them trying to walk in the ways that Jesus walked. If I've got a heart that doesn't care about obeying God, a heart that doesn't care about obeying Jesus, you can be pretty confident if your heart's not directed towards that, you probably are not really saved yet. Further, another text for you, 1 John 3 Verse 4 says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Um, This might be one of the most intense passages in all the Bible because it starts to explain what patterns of sin are. We oftentimes try to minimize patterns of sin and and say that it's not really that bad and it's not really that wrong and everyone does it. John says, no, 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 if you don't understand, practices of sin 
are practicing lawlessness, which is supposed to be even worse. That's supposed to shock you. I'm like, whoa, lawlessness? Really? I'm practicing lawlessness? He goes on. He says, you know that he, that's Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. Verse 6, no one who abides in him, no one who's connected to Jesus, like he commanded. He said, abide in me. No one who does that keeps on sinning. Now you'll stop and be like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Does that mean that a Christian will never sin again? Well, no. Look back up at verse 4. What kind of sinning is he talking about? Verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning. That's the kind of sinning we're talking about. Okay? So if you make a profession of faith at camp, and I've heard this from many of you, right? Um, maybe you were a seventh grader or an eighth grader, and you made a profession of faith, and you said, I believe in Jesus now. But then you came back, and your life was worse than it was before. Okay? Well, that was, something was proved to you that you didn't know him, that you didn't really repent. Because if you repent for real, well, then your life repents. It actually turns around, okay? If you didn't repent for real, then your life will stay the same, if not get worse. What this is saying is no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning and making these practices of, sinning, of sin has either seen him or known him. Verse 7 is so good because there will, yeah, there will be people who will literally come up to you and say, that's not true. That's not true. Don't believe that. Don't believe what that says. That's not, that's not what it means. Okay, look at what does verse 7 say? Let no one deceive you. Right? Don't be deceived about this. Because if you want someone to tell you you're good and you're fine, you can find someone to do that. Right? First John's just not going to do that. It's not going to let you off the hook if your life is characterized by sin. Right? If you're constantly addicted to your sin and your cussing and your bad language and all this stuff. Like if you're addicted to all those things, well, then don't say that you know God. Right? Because... It says, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he, Jesus, is righteous. Further, next verses, verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is not of God, but of the devil. And sometimes we're like, well, I just wish I could be somewhere in between, right? Um, maybe I'm not, like, all in for God yet. Maybe I'm not a Christian yet. But, like, am I really, like, of the devil? Well, look what it says. It says, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. He's been always doing what's wrong. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And you might say that's in a cosmic sense, theologically, which means like in the world. Jesus is going to destroy the kingdom of Satan, right? But also individually. And that's what he says next. Remember, Jesus came to take away sin. Jesus came to sanctify his people and make his people his, a people of his own possession that are zealous for good works. That's one of the reasons Jesus came, right? So look what it says next. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not from God, nor, look what it says next, the one who does not love his brother. It's super important, okay? If you come home from camp and you're excited for God and, and, and excited, but then you walk away from all this and you go back in, into all your old sins and there's no change in habits, um, th then you might have thought you became a Christian, but the Bible says you're re we're really just a fake Christian. You need to become a real Christian. Look what it says next, First John 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Right? And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever's been born of God. Right, loving each other. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, right? How, you start to define this. Like, what does it look like for you to love God? What does it look like to obey him, 
right? What does it look like to love him? Well, it looks like this, that we keep his commandments, right? Um, if God says not to wear that, if God says not to say that, if God says not to go there, if God says not to drink that, then don't do it. <laughs> it's duh, simple. But like, if you're a Christian and you're constantly saying, doing, going against what God says, and you're like, I don't care, well then don't claim to be a Christian. Like, go back to God and say, I've, I've been a fake Christian. Make me a real Christian. I want to bring my sins to the light. I want to confess my sins because you're, you said you're faithful and just to forgive me of my sins. The next one, we already alluded to this, but if you check this out, you can write these two down. Real Christians, what happens in their life is they start to love brothers and sisters. And that's language in the Bible for other Christians. In fact, the early Christians weren't really called Christians very often. Um, it's really rare. So they're just called brothers or sisters. Um, here's a mark of a real Christian. They start to love other Christians. They love brothers and sisters. A mark of fake Christians is that they come to church, but they really have that list of people that they really hate. Like, I come to church, but I just really hate them. I hate them over there, and I hate them over there, and they did this to me, and that, they hold grudges, and it's like, oh, hate, hate, hate. Um, that's the mark of a fake Christian. I, I want you to know that because a lot of you might come here, and you might have a lot of good doctrine in your head. You might be able to talk your way around good situations with your leaders. You might even be able to fake out your leaders with all your knowledge, but you might hate in your heart you might hate your brothers and sisters that's possible in a room this size i'm sure that there are people right now who do hate others even in this room um, you can't hold on to that hate as a christian in fact that hate what it shows is that you're not born of god like you thought you were here's a text for you first john 2 verse 7 if you're in first john 2 just look at it in your bibles it says beloved I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you heard, okay? What old commandment is he referring to? Well, there's a thing that Jesus said was a very important commandment that came in Leviticus 19:18, and it was this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus ups the ante and says, okay, don't just love your neighbor as yourself. Love others like I've loved you. That's even harder. That makes it, okay, not, not just like however I would want to be treated, treat others like you want to be treated, that, that's not the gold standard, as you, maybe you've heard before. Here's the gold standard. You treating people like Jesus would treat them. That's even harder. It says the old commandment is the word that you've heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him, Jesus, and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Right? And that's why John's so clear. It's like, you could claim whatever you want. But just by claiming it doesn't make it true. Right? And I want you to feel that here at True North. Like, just because you claim things and you have a testimony, that doesn't mean you're a Christian. It doesn't. Now, I hope that for many of you who do have testimonies, I, I, I want all of you who have a testimony to be genuinely saved. But here's the marker, okay? It's not whoever has a testimony. It's whoever does, has hate in their, their heart. Well, they, they're still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, like stays in the light. And that's what happens with sin. I don't know if you noticed that. But when you're in sin, it's like you want to withdraw from the light, so to speak. The light being, you know, knowing God, talking to God, praying to God, being with God's people. Do you notice that when you get in sin, you want to, like, pull back from what's good? Right? And a lot of that's out of your shame and out of feeling, like, unworthy or a lot of things. But some of it's out of rebellion. Because, you know, if you come to church, right, you 
you can't sit and face your small group leader after you did what you just did. I mean, you can't cuss that person out and then come sit in small groups and play pretend. You, you have this sense of like, oh, I don't want to be a hypocrite. And what you do is you'll either steer more towards the darkness or you'll come back to the light and give up what was in the darkness. Or some of us, the third way is plain hypocrite, right? Which is what a lot of people do. They sit here, they sit in the light, so to speak, uh, but their heart is darkness. And this is what it says. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there's no cause for stumbling, right? Those of you who love other people in this room, um, there's no cause for stumbling. There's no scandal on is what the word is. There's no, like, leading others to sin, because if you're loving people, you're not going to lead them into sin, right? But some of you start to notice, and and maybe this can be helpful for you, um, you're like, I don't know if I love my brother. I don't know if I love my sisters. I I, I don't think I hate them, but, I mean, I, I don't know if I really like them. Here's a test for you. If you're a person that's leading others of your friends into sin, and you're a, you're a stumbling block, a scandal on is what the word is, then you're not loving them, okay? You might think that they're your homies or your boys, right? But if you're joking about things you shouldn't joke about, right, you're not loving them, okay? You're not. You can claim to, but you're not, right? If you think, yeah, no, I'm friends with this girl, but you're leading her into sin, and you're going against her conscience, and you're exposing her to things that she doesn't want to be a part of and leading her into things she doesn't want to be a part of, you're not loving her. In fact, you're a cause for stumbling for her. You're bad for her. She should cut you off, right, from her friend group. Or in other words, for that guy, he should cut you off, right? That, that's how serious we need to take this. Like, am I a stumbling block for my friends? I can't say that I love them if I'm leading them into sin. It says, whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness. And he does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Which is why, by the way, verse 11, as you can see up on the screen, um, that's why a lot of people think they're saved, but they're not. Because they're blind. They just assume that they're right with God, but they're leading others into sin. They're doing what's wrong. And they're, they're a cause for stumbling. First John 4, later in this book, First John 4, 7, says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know God, anyone who does not love, does not know God. Because God is love. Right? That, that's a huge statement. You mean so you can have, and I've seen it happen before, you can have people who are scholars and theologians and guys who write books and they could know all this stuff and they could not know God because they don't love? Exactly. There are some of you in this room who know God more than some of the smartest people in the Christian world because you love and they don't love. You know God. That's why when we talk about stuff and knowledge, and you know, this is not just an academic pursuit so you can be smarter than somebody else. This is so that you'll know God, right? You do all this, as 1 Corinthians 13 says, without love, it's useless. You've got to love your brother. In this is the love of God made manifest among us. Here's how we know what love looks like. Because God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. You ever thought about that concept? Living through him. It's like you replace you with Jesus. Now you become like Jesus to everyone around you. What would Jesus do with the people in your life? How would Jesus be as a teenage boy on his football team? What would he be like as a girl with her friend group, as a 13-year-old, as a 14-year-old, as a 15-year-old? What would, what would Jesus do in those situations? How would he act? How would he respond? Well, that's what you're doing now. You're living through him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the payment 
the satisfaction of God's wrath for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Do you know how God is seen in the world? Through Christians who love other people. That's God's most brilliant display in this world of his glory. Like you can display God's glory in your life by loving your siblings when they're really annoying. By obeying your parents when you think you know better. Right? You put God's love on display by living for him. Another part of this is relating to love. 1 John 2.15, it's a good one to look at in your Bibles. 1 John 2.15. One way that you can know whether or not you are real versus fake is if you love God most or you love the world most. We just talked about love and hate. And you might say, I'm just a really loving person. Okay, great. I don't hate anything. There's a lot of people that don't hate anything, but some of their loves are evil. Okay? Here's what I mean. If you said, oh, I don't hate anything. You know what? I, I just love, I just love murder. I love it so much. Oh, I just love, I just love to see people's like limbs get torn off. Like, I just love it. Oh, it's so fun. I just love it. I love stealing from people. I just love the look on their face. I just love it. You say, okay, all right. You might not be hating anybody, but you're so, those loves are really bad. Those are evil loves, right? Um, I say that just to prove that to you because some of us will say, I'm not a hater though. I'm like a really nice person. I'm a really good guy. I'm a really nice girl. Everyone loves me, right? Well, some of our loves are evil. Some of the things that we say we love are evil. Here's, here's a passage for you. 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Here's a good one for us all to turn to and read. 1 John 2, 15 says, do not love. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought this passage said we're supposed to love. Every okay, no, do not love. What are we not supposed to love? It says the world or the things in the world. If your heart is all about loving whatever is in this world, it says, stop, hold on, don't love those things. Don't love the things in the world, the sinful things. And he's going to describe that. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Okay? The love of the Father. What does that mean? It means our love for God and his love for us, it's just not in our hearts. If we love everything in the world. And that's a big problem, not just with our group. Okay? With every single group, if you pull up any youth group anywhere, um, there's a problem with those of us who are young. We're attracted to the things of the world because we're curious, because we feel like we haven't seen a lot of it yet, and we love the world, right? Older people got their worldliness problems too. They, they love the world because they have a lot of things in the world, and they're enslaved to their possessions. But you might just be a worldly person who says, I, I kind of want to see what the world's got. I love the world. I want to dress like the world. I want to look like the world. I want to talk like the world. I want to fit in with the world. He says, don't love those things. If you love those things, it's proving something in your heart that God's love is not in you. Look at verse number 16. It says, for all that is in the world, and he's going to define it, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the world. It's not from the Father, but it's from the world. Similar to the sins we talked about on the first night, the, the sins, the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, right? Um, the sexual sin in this world the sin of, of drugs or alcohol, things that you do to try to numb yourself from feeling or make you change your state, right? And some of you have done drugs and done alcohol, so you know that the change of state, and sometimes you desire that, okay? That's one of the sins of the flesh, right? The, the sins of the eyes kind of reminds us back to the first sin. Remember when Adam and Eve sinned, why did Eve sin? Well, because she saw the fruit and she said, that looks good, I want that, right? Sins like coveting, sins like lust, 
right? When you want something you cannot have, right? When you covet, and some of you girls say, well, I'm not into lust, but you're certainly into coveting because you scroll, 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 saying, I want that, I want that. I want to look like that girl. I want to see that girl. I want to be like her. Why don't I look like that? Why don't I have that? I want that house. I want that kitchen. I want that magnolia stuff. Like, and then it becomes like overwhelming, right? Some of you guys, maybe for you, it's, it's more obvious what the sins of the eyes might look like. But what about this one? The pride of life, saying you have to be first. Really, everyone should praise you. You got to be the most popular. You got to be the most funny. You got to be the one that's the center of attention. You got to be the best in your sport. Those desires, they're not from God, right? That's worldliness. Because in the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. That's super clear. Last one, marker, the true versus fake Christian. And by the way, as you're writing these down, I want you guys, those of you who are Christians, I want you to keep this and use this, okay? You can use this as you're talking with a, with a fellow brother or sister, say, let's look at First John again, let's remember what it says, okay? Here's the real category of Christian. It's a person who sticks with Jesus and his church, okay? The fake Christian will probably end up walking away from Jesus and his church, Once you write that down, I want you to see the whole list. I want you to read them, or not horizontally, vertically now. Um, Here's what a real Christian looks like. Someone who believes the truth about Jesus. Someone who walks in light and truth. Someone who brings sin to light by confessing it. Someone who obeys the commands of God. Someone who loves brothers and sisters. Someone who loves God most. Someone who sticks with Jesus in his church. Now, read the other side. A fake Christian is someone who might deny the truth about Jesus or walk in darkness and sin or try to cover up their own sins or is in a habit of disobeying the commands of God or someone who's harboring hate towards brothers and sisters or someone who loves the world more than they love God or ultimately someone who walks away from Jesus in his church. These two verses will be helpful. We'll close with these. 1 John 2, 19 says about a group of people who everyone thought was Christians. Like they, they, they were serving in the church. They were doing good things in the church. Look what John says about them. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Okay? That's a good marker of people who are fake Christians. They're people who come to church to get out what they can get out. And then once they don't have the same friends, once they don't know who to sit with anymore, they, they walk away. Okay? It says they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. This is not true north versus outside. This is Christian versus non-Christian. They left. They went out. They stopped being a part of God's community called the church now because they were never really a part of it in the first place. The opposite of that is verse 28. Later on in the passage, it says, And now, little children, abide in him. Stay close to him. Stay close to Christ so that when he appears, you know that Jesus is going to come back? He's going to appear and people will see him. People who hate him right now will see him with their eyes. It says, when he comes back, we may have confidence. We don't have to be ashamed. We can be like running towards Jesus instead of running away from him. That's the picture. And not shrink in shame from his coming. Right? A lot of us, you know, when we do what's wrong or maybe we forgot to do something our parents wanted to do, when like we hear the garage door open or the door opens, we like, like we do the shrink and shame. We're like, oh, I gotta go run and do that thing, right? Or, <laughs> yeah, basically that's it. <laughs> that happens a lot. Um, 
But I want to remind you that, like, you, if you're a Christian, um, I know not everyone here is a Christian, and this is not a perfect group, and there's no such thing as a perfect church. Hear that loud and clear. Um, the, the church will be perfect when Jesus comes back and he filters out the real from the fake and he changes all of us to no longer desire the desires of the flesh or the eyes, the pride of life. That's going to be the perfect church when we're with him. Um, but I, I do want you to know that this is the place I want you to be. Okay? And even if you're thinking, I'm not sure if I'm a real Christian, I don't know if I'm legit, I, I want you to continue with us. Okay? The worst thing you could do is hear a sermon like this, think, oh, I'm a fake Christian, I should leave. That's the opposite of what I'm telling you to do. If you look at this and you think, yeah, I, I think I might be a fake Christian, what I want you to do is connect even more. Talk to a leader, talk to some friends, ask some people in your life that you think, I think they're legit, I think they're saved. Talk to them and ask them. Hey, are you sure of your salvation? How did you come to salvation assurance? How do you know? How can I know? Like, plug in more. If, you, if this sermon is offensive to you, I, I, I know it's a hard thing to ask, but I want you to plug in even more because you're the person who needs this group even more. I'm thankful for this group. I'm excited that we were able to go to camp, and camp's not everything. I'm excited, really, that we've got a year ahead of us, Lord willing, where we'll get to study God's word. And we studied the book of Ephesians this weekend, or this week, and I want to remind you, and I've told some of you this, but that's actually one of the reasons we chose that, is that's the book we're going to study all year in True North. Okay? In the fall, starting on August 21st, I'll be back. I'm going to take, um, I'll be gone for two weeks. I'm in main service next week. Roy's going to be preaching for two weeks in a row. Um, but we'll be back on August 21st, and we're going to be preaching through the book of Ephesians, verse by verse. I think it's like 32 sermons from August to May. But we're going to be studying that book and what it looks like to become a real Christian, what it looks like to live as a real Christian. I could not be more excited about it. I'm excited to do it with all you guys. So let's pray, and we'll head out. God, we're thankful for your word that gives us clarity. Pray that for people in this room who have been unclear in the past, that this text would give them even more clarity. Pray that they would work this out personally as they have conversations with other Christians. And I pray that as they've heard so much good truth this week, that they would respond to it rightly. I pray for those who've been convicted of their sin in the past and have not responded with genuine faith and genuine repentance. I pray that that would happen really soon for some of them and they could live out this entire year following you. Pray that they would not miss that opportunity. Pray for those who hear the sermon and they don't care um, and this is not interesting to them at all. I pray that you would soften their hearts. I pray that they would think to pray and they'd think to ask you to soften their hearts. We know that you answer that prayer. We know that you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we come to you and honestly confess our sin and ask for you to save us. So I pray that genuine salvation would happen all the time in True North, that I'd constantly be hearing about people who are turning from their sins and trusting in you. I pray that you would do a good work of revival this year, and this would be the most God-glorifying year of True North ever. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys are dismissed. See you guys on Wednesday night.